Wellness Force Radio, episode 11. You can actually live a much freer, happier, more comfortable life because those voices, those thoughts, those things that hold you back no longer do so. Welcome to Wellness Force Radio, where you will hear inspiring and passionate experts in the areas of wellness technology and behavior change. Your host, Josh Trent, will empower you with the knowledge and tools you need to take the very best actions in transforming your mindset, your body, and ultimately your life. Now, here's your host. Wellness Force Radio, welcome back for another educational and inspirational show. I am your host, Josh Trent, and thank you so much for sharing a little slice of your day to hang out at the house during a workout, wherever you are right now, thank you. My mission with this show is to find the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. These are the thought leaders. They are dedicating their lives to empowering others with knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Show notes from today, as well as all the free resources, are over at wellnessforce.com slash radio. If what we talk about today on the show means something to you or resonates with you, please share it with friends or family that you care about. If you have any questions, send me an email, josh at wellnessforce.com. We depend on your ratings and reviews in iTunes to keep bringing on the best information and leaders. So please drop us a quick rating and review in iTunes today. I would so appreciate it. Now, let's get into the show. Today, I am so excited to be talking with a business leader, psychotherapist, and technologist visionary, Ariel Garten. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. So happy to be here. We are so excited to learn from you. I've been using your technology for about three months. I'm going to share my experience, and a lot of people have actually emailed me a few questions about what is this headband thing and what does it do? So we're going to dive into that. But I want to give the listener a pulse on who you are. So I want to go ahead, Ariel, and and read your bio quickly here. Ariel Garden is the co-founder and CEO of Interaxon, makers of Muse, the brain-sensing headband. Muse is an award-winning, easy-to-use brain fitness tool that senses your brain activity, much like a heart rate monitor senses your pulse. Ariel studied neuroscience at the University of Toronto and worked in labs at Toronto's Kremby Neuroscience Center researching Parkinson's disease and hippocampal neurogenesis. No mere science nerd, Ariel is a fashion designer whose clothing appeared opened in Toronto Fashion Week in 2003 and has had her work displayed at the Art Gallery of Ontario in global media on CNN, Forbes, Popular Science, CNET, CNBC, everything you could imagine as far as technology. She has been known for creating what Huffington Post calls the beautiful headband that will make you smarter. Ariel, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It was a very kind introduction. It's always interesting hearing your life's work or hearing a bio about yourself because we're all people. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. And you had made such a a great impression on me with some of the things you shared at the Quantified Self Conference. So we're really excited to learn from you. Thank you. And yet when I hear that, it it doesn't sound like me. I, I am a person who goes through my life. The things that I've done don't really sit in my brain in any way. Maybe it's just because you're always moving forward. <laughs> that is true. So we are learning so much about technology and meditation. So for a lot of A-type people who are on the show or who are listening to the show today, 
this is going to be a powerful episode because I myself have struggled with having the consistency of my meditation be a practice and be a sustainable practice. And I know this is something that resonates with a lot of people. What I found in Muse has been really powerful for me in achieving more consistency. But before we dive into what Muse is, Ariel, and, and what you've been up to, you I know you've been featured globally, you're in print, you're everywhere. But I'm curious, what is something that most people don't know about you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am currently, oh, I know this is, this is a nice one. So my grandma was a Holocaust survivor. She lived in Hungary at the time. She was saved by Raul Wallenberg, who was a righteous Gentile who saved about 10,000 Hungarian Jews. And she, my mother and I have been working on a series of talks together to talk about freedom from various aspects. So for her, it's about finding freedom in political freedom and physical freedom. For my mother, she's an amazing artist. And for her, it's about finding freedom in her own work and through art and sharing that freedom through her art. And for me, it's about helping people find freedom in their own mind. So there's a little historical tidbit. Mm, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, this brings up a question I was going to ask. It's perfect timing. Your mother is a famous artist. Her work's been featured in many different places that are noteworthy. Um, was her was her kind of painting new worlds on canvases as you were a child? Was that something that shaped your expression and how you've created your technology around the human technology interaction? Completely. As a child. I grew up in this very artistic home and I remember um, Vincent, John Vincent, he's actually the founder of Gesture Tech, which is one of the early, early gesture-based technologies. And he would come over to our house and dance. He was also a dancer and that's how he built gesture-based tech. And we'd have arguments when I was literally eight years old around computers. And back in the eighties, computers were big boxy things that were separated from you and sat on a desk and you had to <laughs> put yourself into this tiny little portal to interact with them. And I would argue vehemently that computers were anti-natural. You know, these, this is not the way that humans should go. Um, because I was brought up in this beautiful emotive context where you can imagine things, you create things, you emote things, you, you touch and feel things, you taste things from the garden. Uh, and so I think part of my life's work has been around creating tools and experiences that bring cutting edge technologies to you in ways that are incredibly human, that are not, you know, boxy things that sit on a desk and ask you to conform in some way. And it's interesting because as your mom's creating these new worlds on the canvas, there is a huge dynamic world going on in each and every one of our brains. And I think what's really cool about this, this tool is we're getting a, a really high level view of how we're showing up in our lives, who we actually are. And I want to touch on the talk you had uh, in TEDx. And this TEDx was in Toronto. Where was the exact location of TEDx? It was about three years ago. It was TEDx Toronto and the beautiful new Kerner Hall. And the, the title, this is such a cool title, Know Thyself with a Brain Scanner. And you were quoted as saying, humanizing technology is about what's taking already natural about the human tech experience and building technology seamlessly in tandem with it. As it aligns our human behaviors, it can allow us to make better sense of what we do and more importantly, why creating a big picture out of all the little details of who we are. Can you expand on that, Ariel, and tell us what you meant? Sure. So we as humans go throughout our daily lives, and it's often hard for us to observe what's going on inside us or around us. We exist, we are, we, we be, um, but it's often very difficult to 
take the time to look inside yourself and see. And we need to learn how to do that. And there are, you know, vast traditions of tools and techniques that teach you how to do that. We've tried to apply technology to this problem of how do you look inside yourself and how do you gain more insight and self-knowledge? So in creating Muse, we created a tool that actually lets you observe your own mental state, lets you know when you're in a state of focused attention, when your mind is wandering, and gives you opportunity, motivation, and insight to spend the time looking internally. As I said earlier, you know, so often technology is something that is outside of us. And when we create technology, we seek to do it in ways that really align seamlessly with our human behavior. So we're not forced into this like sort of subjugation to technology. So we're not looking up to technology or confining ourselves to the way technology needs us to work or, um, or moving all of our actions and behaviors towards technology because it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. We are instead finding the ways to be more human, to discover what our own humanity is and to live in ways in, in harmony with ourselves and the world um, and technolo- using technology as an aid to help you do that. And I think the impact that is different is Muse, I almost feel like, was born to help the human condition. A lot of manufacturers, when they create these different QS devices, it's all about how cool the tech is. And I don't know if it always meets the consumer where they are, the consumer need. You have been quoted as saying things uh, you know, like humanizing technology. And it, what exactly does that mean to humanize technology? So in this thing that I, you know, keep touching on, it means creating technology that supports you in your human daily life and in your human behavior. So that is using materials that are flexible and conform to your body. That's um, encouraging a set of behaviors that interact naturally in your life rather than having you change and conform to technology. It's about having technology sort of help point to aspects of your human experience that you may want to explore more deeply. Um, so often when you create, you know, quantified self devices, it's about what is my data? You know, what is the output? What does my body output? <laughs> and that can be very reductive. And my desire and our desire here at Draxon is to create technology that is expansive. And I, and I know that something that you mentioned on stage at QS, since we're talking about how these devices actually serve the human condition, is you had mentioned something that stuck with me. And it was, you know, part of the reason why you've created this, this muse and this technology is to silence those little voices in our heads that tell us we're not good enough, we're ugly, all this negative kind of banter that goes on in our heads. How does muse help us to silence those voices? So Muse, for those of you who don't know, is a brain-sensing headband. There are sensors on the forehead and behind the ears, and it tracks your brain activity in real time. And what it does really beautifully is it teaches you how to meditate. It lets you know when you're in a state of focused attention and when your mind has wandered. And when your mind has wandered, it gently guides you back into that state of focused attention. So it lets you actually observe your own internal process and then learn how to gain control over your own mental process and state. So, so often our minds wander in places and sometimes it's amazing and fascinating and you want your mind to be there and you're highly creative. And sometimes our minds wander into places that are not so helpful or supportive for us. They wander into those inner critic pools of I'm not good enough or, you know, does my hair look stupid or et cetera, et cetera. We, we all know what these negative internal dialogues we have are. And these negative internal dialogues, you know, we used to sometimes motivate us or try to improve our life, but really they don't do that. They shut us down, they cause us to be demotivated, and they cause us to really shrink inside of ourselves. So when you're able to know that you can actually have control 
control over where your brain goes, that it can go into the negative place. And then you have a tool or a mechanism that you've learned to help you take it out of there. You can actually live a much freer, happier, more comfortable life because those voices, those thoughts, those things that hold you back no longer do so. And that was very powerful because it's a way to actually not only just quantify your meditation to see what you're doing, but also to see the quality of it. You know, I've been using the app for around three months and I think I have 700 and something minutes logged. Um, for me, that's, a, that's a, a benchmark. So I've always struggled personally with having the consistency of that morning practice, that morning meditation. We know the benefits of it psychologically, physiologically, Touch on how your background in psychotherapy and what you did there actually helped you to create Muse as well. Sure. So my background comes from neuroscience and psychotherapy. And I should also say there are lots of people on my team that come from Buddhist perspectives, engineers, computer scientists, other neuroscientists. So I'm not the only one creating this. This is a, this is a whole team effort. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so myself personally, um, I was a psychotherapist in private practice and I would teach people how to go inside themselves and stay with these thoughts and feelings and be able to work with them and move them. And for a lot of people that was very, very intimidating, you know, the mind can be a scary place and they just didn't know how to do it. Um, I would recommend to them that they would meditate and they would go away and they'd come back and they'd say, um, couldn't figure out how to do it. Don't know if I'm doing it right. Uh, don't know if this thing's on. My mind just zipped all over the place. So we built Muse as a tool to help people meditate, to get over all of those barriers and hurdles so that it tells you, you know, when you're focused and when your mind has wandered so that it motivates you to come back and do it every time. So it sort of guides and holds your hand and helps you move forward. In my uh, practice as a psychotherapist, a lot of the work that I did was around um, anxiety and killing that inner critic. Um, killing is far too far too uh, dark a term, but learning how to work with and learning how to manage and moderate your inner critic. I would like. Um, I would actually like to kill the inner critic. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> So there's actually a fun little exercise I would do uh, with my clients, and that is take your inner critic and put it against the wall. And you're going to see something on the wall there. For some people, it's a dark cloud. For some people, it's a little being. For some people, it is a witch. And then you can actually talk to it. And you can say like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? The things that you tell me are not true. They are not right. You're constantly telling me things that don't support me. And I'd really like you to stop. That's the polite version of it. Some people get a lot less polite. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can actually reach out and just shrink them and, and make them smaller him or her, and know that you can actually have control over this thing inside you that's just prattered on uselessly for probably years. So for someone who's listening that's had struggles with these, this inner critic and with meditating, what are some key takeaways that people can do, not only with just integrating technology, but is there a specific morning practice that you recommend to people or that you do in your own life to necessitate this meditation state? I've done a wide variety of different meditation practices. And the thing that I found that most consistently helps me get into state and has improved and deepened all the other practice is musing. Um, and it's not meant to sound like a commercial. It's just what I found that really works. And I've heard it from other people as well. The first thing that you want to do in meditation practice is learn how to control your attention. Uh, most people sit down and their brain jumps all over the place and you're supposed to focus on your breath and then your brain jumps all over the place and you don't want to do. So Muse really teaches you how to build that focused attention and how to really exercise the muscle of your mind um, so that you can gain a quality of mind that can let you then take your attention and put it on anything you want to. 
um, on other parts of your body, open monitoring on other parts of the room, on mantras or other experiences or thoughts that are going to be helpful to you as they are repeated over and over again. Um, So I found it a great training wheel. That's the term that we tend to use for it. I, I've been moving my practice around. I've been doing a more sort of Reiki based healing practice in the morning, which I found beautiful. Um, And then I meditate with muse in the middle of the day. Um, Some people muse every morning or they muse every evening if they have difficulty falling asleep. Uh, In terms of tips and tricks, the thing that you learn with meditation is that it's not the 10 or 20 minutes you're doing it. It's actually how your brain responds and your body responds throughout the rest of the day. So you can then start to notice when your mind is in a place that's not really helpful to you and you now have a tool that you can just pull up internally, the skills that you've built to pull it off of it. So I've been sitting, listening to a lecture and for the first time realized that I really wasn't listening to it and I have the opportunity to bring my mind and brain back to it. Um, It happens when you're sitting and listening to somebody talking, you recognize like, oh, I have just gone completely somewhere else and then you can engender this tool and bring it back. I've started to really listen to my internal emotional states and recognize the emotion that I'm having at the moment and what it attributes to. So I'll often notice that I might be frustrated or like looking closed and it wasn't what just happened. It was what happened 10 minutes before, half an hour before. And I've gotten extremely good at figuring out exactly when that moment was that caused me the distress and then not bringing it into the rest of my day or I'm attempting to get good at doing that. Sure. I've, I've got the observation down. The, the you know emotional self-regulation that comes after that means that I'm still kind of grumpy sometimes. And, and we've, um, heard, we've heard so much of this too in self-development and personal development, emotional strength, psychological EQ. You said something earlier, exercise the muscle of your mind. That is powerful because so we've had a lot of speakers on that are fitness professionals and world-class fitness personas. And they're always talking about, you know, the structures of the body, but the brain and the musculature of the brain is extremely fascinating to me in the way that it can get stronger. Why did you, does that actually relate to the name interaxon because of the axons in the brain? Yes, it does. That's our extremely nerdy name. So axon being the thing that sends an action potential from neuron to neuron and interaxon meaning the relationship of of neurons and how they relate to one another um, and also sounding like interaction, the relationship that we have from person to person. I love it. It definitely fits. Well, I, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about some of the work that you've done um, or some of the work that, that's around this space in TCC or technology. Now, the actual TCC, what does that stand for? Technology? Uh, is, are you thinking thought-controlled computing? Thought-controlled computing. So in thought-controlled computing for children that they have you know, different, different conditions like attention deficit disorder, how has this, this thought-controlled computing helped them? How has it empowered kids that have these issues? So when you work with thought-controlled computing, and now the term that we use is brain-sensing technology, it's a little bit uh, softer. Brain-sensing technology teaches kids and adults of all age to understand what's going on internally. So one great example is kids with ADHD. They have high levels of theta waves, dream state, and low levels of beta waves, focus state. Um, ADHD is a great thing to have. It has lots of benefits and experiences. It's also a very frustrating thing to have and can have lots of impingement on your life and the choices that you want to make in it. So with neurofeedback and brain-sensing technology, what you can teach a kid to do is actually understand what it feels like to focus. So you can make video games where a kid can drive a car forward with his beta activity, his focus activity, um, and know what it feels like to focus. So if you're a kid 
your entire, with ADD, your entire life, somebody's yelling at you to focus, 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 and you have no idea what that means. Mm. But when you bring that experience outside of yourself and you understand that when the car drives forward, that's what focus means, a whole new world of choice opens up to you. And at the same time, you're given reinforcement to upregulate your beta state. And your beta state ultimately upregulates to the, um, to the level of a child who's not diagnosed with ADHD. And the effects can be as powerful as Ritalin. And the way that this technology can actually be used by the mind to turn things on, turn things off was an awesome video that I saw. There was someone using uh, their brain and, and the different alpha and, and, and theta waves to turn on a beer keg, turn off a beer keg, but also to turn on lights in a room and to switch on light bulbs and things like that. Once a person learns to control these alpha and beta waves, there's a control signal, right? And that can be used to program anything from lighting to music or motors. You've got it. So in the feedback mechanism that we use with Muse, we're tracking brain activity and then using an audio cue that you hear to know what's going on in your mind. We can then expand that technology to things like the ADD application I just talked about, where you're now moving a car on screen with your brain state, or you can plug it into just about anything. We do indeed have a thought-controlled beer tap. When you focus on it, um, the tap opens and your beer pours. We've done fun things like thought-controlled toasters. Uh, and then we also did something really amazing at the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics, where people in Vancouver could control the lights on the CN Tower, the Canadian Parliament Buildings, and Niagara Falls with their brain from across the country. Wow. So we've done lots of brand explorations and what it means for your mind to be able to reach out and really impact the world in some pretty fantastic ways. And, and the technology is powerful on, in multiple facets. I saw online that you were sitting with the Canadian women's soccer team. Were you integrating any technology with them? Yes. Yeah, so the Canadian women's soccer team, uh, the team that's been put together for the Pan Am Games, who are doing amazingly. I am so proud of them. They're just spectacular women. They've been musing uh, for the weeks leading up to the games. We actually have quite a number of athletes who've been using Muse, including skaters, golf trainers, golf pros, um, a couple different soccer teams and more. So it's really made quite an impact on athletes and helping them learn to find that state of mental preparation that's required to be at the top of your game. We had uh, Sky and Tamara Christofferson on the show a while back, and they were actually using a lot of technology with the uh, 2012 women's cycling team, the USA cycling team. I'm curious, what exactly did you do as far as intervention with these Canadian athletes? Um, so Sky actually uses Muse as well. Um, with the Canadian athletes, they use Muse on their own, just like, just like you do, Josh. So they've been using Muse every morning. Um, they'll use it pre prior to a practice. Um, or prior to a big game, and then go out and be able to perform more effectively. I had a great conversation with Nan Nguyen. He's a Canadian skater. We have two members of the Canadian skating team. One, um, have, actually Javier Fernandez, he's Spanish, but he was trained by one of our Canadian skaters. He muses and he came in gold. And Nan Nguyen is about 15 years old, and he went to the world, and he's been musing. And for him, muse is really important because like, this entire world that he's in is really intimidating. He's there on the ice at the world at 15 with people cheering, and it's very difficult to stay focused and not get distracted and not let your own excitement and ego and sphere get caught up in it. Mm. And so to him, Muse has been invaluable. And he mused 15 minutes before his uh, program at the Worlds and he came in fifth. So Javier came in first and the little 15 year old came in fifth in the world. That is a great report card. <laughs> yeah, I was so proud of him. It was amazing. 
The the space of athletic performance and the way that introspection and self awareness can improve performance is is amazing for Olympians. But for the average person who is just a busy mom or a busy dad or just a busy human being, the self awareness piece, this awareness to know what triggers cause us to be depressed or act out. Can you touch on a little bit to how Muse can actually help us understand ourselves a little bit better? Sure. So once you learn the skill of introspection, of being able to peer inside your own mind and to be able to sit there quietly with yourself, you can then start to apply it to various parts of your body. So with Muse, what you're learning first is just the activity of, is my mind wandering? Is my mind focused? And you're learning mindfulness, the ability to non-judgmentally observe the process of your own mind. You can then start to apply it to your emotional state. You can start to observe your emotions. Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I depressed? What is it that triggered that? Where did it come from? What does that mean for me? And, and do I need it right now? Do I want to go into it or do I want to move it aside because I realize it's not actually directly connected to what I'm doing? And this is you know, what mindfulness and meditation has taught us for, at this point, thousands of years. Um, the concept is not new, um, but it's pretty powerful and amazing when it's applied. When we think about sort of the next generation of applying technology to that process. We can, over time, potentially actually track digitally if you are depressed, if you're happy, if you are excited, frustrated, et cetera. And then also apply digital tools that can start to give you cues about your emotional state um, and allow you to have just another level of insight that you can then use to prompt your own self-insight and self-inquiry. And so with this self-inquiry and with knowing more about ourselves, we can then adjust our future behavior to perform and, and be and live how we want to. Yeah, you can make choices. You're no longer pushed forward by the invisible bonds of our limited beliefs. You know, we're no longer shackled by these internal processes that we don't understand. Once you understand something, you can have choice over it. You can explore it. You can love it. You can, you know, throw it away. You can say it's not for me. You can move beyond it. You can change it. Hmm. Um, but the first process is knowing. Well, I can feel your energy and your passion behind what you do. And it's inspiring to me. I want to read one last quote from your TEDx talk and then let people know where they can find more about you and Muse and everything that's going on with your dynamic organization. This is a quote and it is what thought controlled computing can allow you to do is build colorful layered pictures of our lives. And with this, we can get the skinny on our psychological happenings and build the story of our behaviors over time. We can begin to see the underlying narratives that propel us forward and tell us about what's going on over time. And from this, we can learn to change the plot, the characters, and the outcome of our personal stories. I love this quote because the key phrase you ended with was personal stories. Everyone has a belief set, a story, and a list keeper. And we have these behaviors that we sometimes aren't even aware that we're doing. They're subconscious. How do you think in the future, Muse and this entire movement of digital health will allow people to achieve better performance, better health? And what do you think is next in this movement? So we've started to see in quantified self um, tools that give us data. Um, now we're starting to see the integration of those different data sets. So we're starting to say, okay, well, if we take our heart rate and we take our breath rate and we take you know, our amount of perspiration, we can have a much greater picture of who we are um, from physically um, and then start to make predictions and assumptions about where we're going and who we might want to be. So we can start to take more and more streams of data and weave them together um, in ways that help us have a better picture of ourselves and then understand and optimize our, if, if optimization is your, what 
you know, the goal for you, understand and optimize yourself. So there are so many processes that are invisible. Um, and once you make them visible, you can then have control over them. And healthcare is kind of an entire space that is ripe for and is happening with that kind of transformation. So when you think about in the past, you used to go to a doctor, if there was something wrong with you, you would have no control over your own personal health in that way. You'd go to the doctor, you'd say, there's something wrong with me. They would give you a pill or a prescription or a diagnosis, and then you would follow it. And then you'd hopefully get better. Healthcare is is a sphere in which the same methodology and the same kind of thinking applies. And that takes us to this entire notion of, you know, what is it to be, what is it to be healthy? It's not going to the doctor when you're sick. Um, it's being able to be comfortable and healthy to your definition in your own body, in your own mind. And it's interesting, you know, what is the definition of health? I almost feel like health is a segment of wellness and wellness incorporates the physicality, the psychology and everything that we do in every, every person that we interact with in our lives. I'm curious, Ariel, what, you know, what is wellness to you? What's, what's your definition of wellness? So wellness to me is being comfortable and happy in your body and in your mind. So most people think of wellness from a physical perspective. And obviously one has to eat, eat well. Obviously one has to exercise oneself um, to be physically healthy, to be comfortable in your own body to the point where it works. I mean, bodies get sick and bodies get injured. This is really, really normal. And it should happen because if it doesn't, it means you're not living. Um, and wellness is when you have a body that is resilient and can recover and recuperate and take you back to that point of, of ease and comfort inside of it. The same thing happens in the mind. In order to be well, quote unquote, in the mind, it's to have a mind that is not entangled in anxious negative thoughts, is not held back by limiting beliefs, is not constraining you and who you want to be because you feel shame or things that cause you to shrink inside. So to be well in the mind is to be just as free and easy and comfortable in your own mind and your own world and in who you are as it is to be in your body. Mm. Very cool. Freedom in the mind, freedom in the body. And I love the sense of just having freedom. I think we've all felt that as children and a lot of people try to go back to that child state. Do you have anything as a, as a parting comment that you could say to someone who might be struggling with a lot of these negative voices? Absolutely. And that's that you can completely overcome them. These voices are not real. They're just stuff that's sort of stuck from our past that rolls around in our head that just annoys us. It's not real. It's not true. It's not you. And you can just look that voice, you know, squarely in its voice and say, hey, I don't need you. I don't want you. And I can overcome you. So we don't have to be bound by those voices in our head. And there are lots of amazing tools and techniques that can teach you how to manage and free yourself from them. Mm, thank you for that, Ariel. I will make sure to link information to Muse and where can people learn more about you and Interaxon and, and what's going on in the whole picture? Uh, choosemuse.com um, should have lots of fun content and blogs and uh, things about meditation and mental health that you can learn from. Excellent. We'll link that in the show notes. And I just want to take a second to really honor the work you're doing. I am inspired by this. I've been using this. I want to do it for a year. And then I want to actually talk about how the mental practice affected my physicality. So look for that blog post in about seven months. <laughs> I'll make sure to tag you on social. And thanks so much for what you're doing, not only with humanizing technology, but giving people permission to turn off that negative voice. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the space to share. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Head on over to wellnessforce.com slash radio for all the links, show notes, and bonus content. If you're interested in changing old habits with new technology, download your free digital health transformation guide at wellnessforce.com slash radio. Radio.